You're listening to Muscles to the Masses, the podcast. We're covering muscles, of course, all kinds of movement, recovery, and fitness. I'm your host, Julie Reed. I'll bring information you can trust from new-to-you sources. Today, I'm chatting with Maya Winters. Maya is a strongman national champion, a two-time runner-up at the Arnold Strongman World Championship, competitor at the Arnold and Powerlifting, and CrossFit Regional Team competitor. Maya is a contemporary artist and former art professor who is currently back in school for mechanical engineering. Oh, and I can't leave out, she's a mother to two feline sons and one feline daughter. Her words, named Peaky Shrew, Wormwood Camille Winters, and Tiffany Veronique. Maya and I got to chat on all things strongman, plus how the depth of her training helped her go from rugby to strongman to powerlifting to CrossFit. But I'll keep you in suspense. You'll have to wait to hear her favorite. Maya answers my questions on what it means to be mentally tough to her, how she was injured in powerlifting, it's not what you might think, and how she connects to disciplines of art and lifting. Maya, thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, so why don't you give us some background on how you got into Strongman, where you first learned of it, and how you decided to stay with it. I actually started training for Strongman after 13 years of rugby. played in college and I played after. Got tired of getting injured one too many concussions, so I needed to move on and find another athletic outlet. actually started training at Iron Sport Gym. Steve Paulson, now the owner, he actually got me into it and suggested I start trainings. I trained for about a year and a half and then went directly into competing and progressed pretty quickly. Competed at Nationals, won that my first year. Competed at the Arnold twice, came in second there, and pretty brief summation of how things went down. For how long were you into strongman competitions? Probably for three to four years. That's where my most concentrated training was, you know, going to nationals and stuff like that. And so you mentioned that you got out of rugby because of all of the injuries. Did you not see that carry over into strongman? You know, I just thought the instances or the opportunities to run into something or to have something uh, come crashing down on your head were probably a a lot less than (laughs) running at 15 women at once, as fun as that sounds. (laughs) That's actually very interesting because if we haven't really talked yet about what strongman looks like, but there are implements that are very different than things that you would find in a traditional gym. Can you explain some of the events in strongman? Something that's more along the lines of powerlifting is your axle deadlift. You have the fat bar. It's just a bar larger in circumference than your barbell. Something that's oddly shaped, what Strongman's known for, is the keg toss. So you take a keg, it's weighted. You have a bar that's set at a certain height, and you have to throw a particular vertical distance. Once you get the keg over that, you go to a slightly heavier keg, throw that over, and then it progresses. So that's one of the more um, dynamic movements in Strongman. And you have the Atlas stones, big hunks of concrete that you lift over a bar of a certain height. There's so many, uh, so varying. They change from year to year as well. So the events change from year to year or event to event? How does that work? Competition to competition. And to be quite honest, I mean, you'll get a promoter every now and then that wants to be cute and just put something completely ridiculous in a competition. But for the most part, um, you know, you'll get stuff, you know, sandbag carry, medleys with the yoke, which you carry, you know, the bar that has weights attached to each side on your back. You carry that for speed and distance. So there are some that remain very consistent, different push pulls, different carries, different uh, types of deadlifts. Uh, But then every now and then you'll get um, something that's a little more, a little less traditional. And so what is the most ridiculous (laughs) event that you've competed in? 
It was uh, my friend Sue and I, she's an Australian competitor. We always laugh at this one deadlift event that we had axle deadlift for reps, so we had to hop into a frame. And then we picked up a couple of plates, and it was just all very un- unnecessarily creative. But, you know, it was fun nonetheless. Yeah, it keeps you guessing, right? <laughs> yes. So it sounds so varied. How do you train for something like that? Well, if you, uh, the early World's Strongest Man competitions, uh, the athletes didn't know what events they were going to be training for. They didn't know which implements they were going to use. You know, we had that luxury in a contemporary strongman, but, you know, you just get your raw strength where it should be and try to get as strong as you can get. You try to move as dynamically as you can in base lifts, like deadlifts for reps, overhead for reps at certain amounts of weight. Um, and as long as you're, you know, you keep yourself conditioned in that way, you should fare pretty well. But, you know, we were spoiled. We get the weights. We get to know which brand of the implement that we're going to use. You can go from gym to gym trying to find the specific implement. Pretty crazy. I mean, we're, they're spoiled. So it's kind of nice. <laughs> so did you, when you were training, did you travel from gym to gym and ask to use strongman equipment? Is that a common thing? Yes. Yeah, I would. Um, mostly iron sport had everything that you needed, but as the sport progressed, you know, you would need certain types of circus dumbbells, which is just a completely, it's almost like cartoon sized dumbbell that you load up with different weights and put overhead. So I, yes, I would go from gym to gym. Um, there's some gyms in Jersey. We would go to, we'd go up to New York, a couple places down in Virginia. So on the weekends, if you wanted to get your, um, we called it event training day or I don't know, you did comp simulations. You would go from gym to gym finding exactly what you needed. You know, people would fret if they didn't really get their hands on the implement before the competition, but it's kind of like, you know, again, we were spoiled, so. How has the sport changed from when you first started to when you finished competing? I would say that uh, there are a lot more weight classes. There are two different federations now. Uh, there was only one when I first started. I think the yeah, the events are pretty pretty similar. There are more pro shows for women to compete in, but yeah, definitely there's there's more weight classes. There's like you know the super heavyweight, way on up to you know you can weigh a thousand pounds if you want to. I don't, I've never seen that though. So down to 175 pounds. So the, the weight classes are very very broad now. So there's a lot of different opportunities, I guess, to promote maybe crossfitter involvement or something like that. And yes, there are two, two different federations, uh, USS uh, Strongman, and then they have North American Strongman, which is kind of nice because then that means you get more opportunities to compete. You get to compete, compete against different athletes. Different promoters are going to run their shows differently. These changes were definitely great for the growth of the sport. So you did an interview with Juggernaut a while back, I think it was 2013, and you said that there's plenty of energy in Strongman right now. If the athletes keep treating their training in a professional manner, the sport will thrive as a whole. While competing at the Arnold Strongman Fitness Champs, I was exposed to a very serious all-in type of athlete. It sounds like Strongman has been thriving. Um, So do you think that Strongman still has a ton of energy? From what I observed, I believe that it still has, you know, there's still... The momentum still carrying it, if not building a little more energy. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, there are more pro shows for women, and the two uh, different federations seem to have just as many shows year to year. On social media, the involvement is more than it's, you know, or the visibility is more than it's ever been. So, yeah, I definitely say that the energy is still high. 
And um, it's interesting because it's interesting to see how it moves over in the CrossFit. You know, at regionals, you'll see strongman a little more now, strongman events. And in the games, you may see some um, influence from strongman, which is, I, th I think it would suggest that the energy's, you know, filtering out in other areas, maybe seeping out a bit, which is great. Yeah. Do you think that's how it's kept up its passion? It's kind of creeped into maybe some other fitness events? Yeah, possibly, because I know that when, uh, when games athletes and regionals athletes and CrossFit have those events, you know, on their plate, or they have to train for it, they're going into the strongman gyms, and, you know, I don't know, maybe people from their box see them varying their training in that way, and it influences them to get involved. I do know that I've seen the strongman competitions of more CrossFit athletes there, mm -hmm. like trying to get engaged in it. So it may be the CrossFitter that's more inclined to do something strength-based or you know, just wants to try something new. Well, I can imagine that a lot of strongman style training can be done in a CrossFit gym. And so you have these athletes seeing this cool stuff happening and just want to try it out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's good because I don't, I don't know what it is about CrossFit, but the athlete buy-in to trying new things and, you know, signing up for a competition, it just seems to be they seem really easy to lure in. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it sounds bad, but it's a good thing. I like that. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I'll try it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so before you mentioned that there are more women-specific strongman events that I kind of have to ask the question, do the women prefer to be called strong women instead of strong men in the competition? And do you see that name change at all in the future? I honestly don't believe the name will change in the future. Um, it never really bothered me. Uh, I saw it more like a title kind of similar to something like the Ironman competitions or something like that. So it seemed more descriptive of human, you know, something like mankind or something like that. So it never really bothered me until I had to explain to folks what I did athletically, you know, oh, what do you compete in, Maya? Well, I compete in strongman. So then they'd say, oh, you compete against all these big guys. And I'm like, well, not exactly. It's just what the sport's called. Um, I didn't really feel excluded, given that, that that's the name of the sport. I felt it, the exclusion uh, resided in other areas. But no, the name really never bothered me too much. And I, don't, I never really heard of any other women expressing displeasure in it. But um, you know, I guess a few years ago when I was competing heavily, we were in a different, um, a different climate as far as speaking in a politically correct fashion. So things have gotten, I think, a little more sensitive or more aware now. And so you just mentioned there's exclusion in, in other ways. Can you expand on that? Well, for a very long time, a very, very long time, I guess within the past couple of years, women could not get a pro card at all. So what a pro card is in strongman is, you know, if you win nationals, you come first place in nationals, which I did one year, the guys, uh, the males, they were able to, they were considered professional strongman athletes. So they were able to qualify for higher, higher level competitions, but the women just won nationals, got their tub of protein power powder and went home and just, I don't know, took a bunch of selfies with that tub of protein powder. That's the way that they could sort of, uh, show off a little bit but you know the men were given uh competitions beyond that and then we just sort of had to stop right at nationals and that was it um but now women are actually able to win their pro card but what kind of me off was that it wasn't really retroactive so it's like okay so we never were able to become considered pro strongmen 
even though we won, like we attained mm-hmm. the same exact goal, but it just happened a year before people clean their glasses off or wipe the crust out their eyes. I don't know how you want to put it, but <laughs> wanted to finally recognize us. So. Do you think that'll ever change that it'll become retroactive or was there any kind no. of discussion or? I don't think so. I know I made a stink about it um, online. You know, I don't feel like it was making a stink about it. I don't know. I put it that way. Sounds like you were voicing yeah. your opinion. Yeah, and I was like, you know, this is interesting, but hey, uh, how about the people who won two years prior or the year prior, would they, would they be included? And, and they were not. So you talked about a lot of people going from gym to gym in their training. It sounds yes. like there's a big community. Is that true? And, and is it similar to the powerlifting community that is supportive of one another? And possibly because I did strongman for a longer period than I did powerlifting, I felt like the um, I, I felt like training as a group was just something that was more common in strongman. Some of your sessions might be three hours long, and it's not because you're lifting for three hours. You couldn't possibly do that with the percentages and the volume, but it was because of the setup. And the more people you had, the better it was, the faster the training session moved. Um, so that's why I feel like maybe um, larger groups or folks training together was more common in strongman than in powerlifting. So that, that's one thing I actually liked more about strongman and powerlifting. So let's talk a little bit about powerlifting. What is your strongest lift? I excelled uh, most in the deadlift. Don't mm-hmm. ask my max. I don't want to talk about it. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, it's a heavy, right? It's heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. It's heavy. All right. We don't have to talk about that. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Well, so let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about the transfer from from rugby to strongman to powerlifting to CrossFit, how does one carry over to the other and how does training for them differ? I think um, the thing that I brought from rugby to strongman, I think was a certain fitness level. In rugby, I played prop. So I was in the middle of the scrum, that big huddle that starts um, the ball back into play. My back became very, very, very strong after playing that position. For 13 years, I got fit from just running around for 80 minutes for that many years. And I feel that that transferred over in the strongman very well because you're bearing weight, kind of like in rugby where you're dragging a human when you're, you know, running with the ball in your hand. So moving with weight kind of came easily. Uh, Strong back was something I acquired. A strong back is going to lead into powerlifting because you need that for your bench. You need that for your deadlift. You need it for your squat. You need that in strongman as well. So I think that that carried over from rugby, from strongman to powerlifting. I think that um, condition, like I was able to train at higher volumes in powerlifting because in strongman, we were always, I, I trained at pretty high volume. I was accused a lot of overtraining, but that's neither here nor there. But yeah, so I think that carried over and helped me in uh, powerlifting when I was maybe going through a hypertrophy phase or something like that. Logistically, I think that powerlifting, I don't know if this answers your question, but um, powerlifting training was a lot easier to, I guess, maneuver than strongman training because going from gym to gym, it was easier to find implements. So um, I don't know if that doesn't really address carryover. I guess it just addresses me being happier because I don't have to go to weird places. So. <laughs> And then, and then what about CrossFit? Uh, so uh, from, you know, from powerlifting to CrossFit, I never really excelled in like a handstand walk or anything in CrossFit. But when I was benching more, my handstand push-ups were better. Uh, when my overall base strength was higher, I felt like I, compa- I 
competed much, much better in CrossFit. The conditioning aspect, you know, that I feel like I always felt like that was easier to get than, than getting strong. So uh, mobility definitely didn't carry over into CrossFit because I was, wasn't the most mobile CrossFitter or flexible CrossFitter. So yeah, having that base, that um, decent base strength that I had from powerlifting uh, definitely carried over into CrossFit and even helped my gymnast, my muscle-ups were exponentially better when I was benching twice a week and doing the um, accessory lifts to supplement that. So so in CrossFit, you mentioned that you had limited mobility. Was Did that change over time and did you work on it? And how, how did that go? <laughs> no. <laughs> no to all of it. No, I... <laughs> I, here and there, I pretended I was going to pursue it consistently, but I didn't, there was a time where I was, um, you know, actually working with Erin Farmer and, uh, she had me working on my mobility a lot because I was working on Olympic lifting with her. So that was probably when I was, my mobility was at its best, but, um, you know, I never, that was one thing I was never really disciplined with. And that's, that was my mobility. I do everything else. I train as hard as you wanted me to eat as clean as you wanted me to you know, gallons of water a day, whatever I had to do. Um, but yeah, mobility was just something I, I wasn't down with. I don't, know, I don't know why. So you said that you were accused of overtraining. That, <laughs> that was an interesting way to put it, accused of overtraining. It sounds like you didn't maybe feel like you were overtraining. No, I didn't. I, I didn't feel like I was overtraining at all because it just, I felt like when it came time to do certain events in Strongman, that I had an edge because I concerned myself with conditioning a lot. Mm -hmm. And that was often something that got me wins in different events because I just could keep, you know, I had the fitness level to do it. Well, so I, who, who was accusing you? All coaches. And, they, you know, they, <laughs> they just only coaches, you know, only the authority, the people who knew they were talking about. <laughs> I, I worked with Jill Mills for a long time and she's kind of, you know, had the sit your ass down attitude. You know, when I say to train, you train. Don't, when I say not to train, you don't train. And she was right. She's absolutely right. But, you know, like I would, I would complain because my log press wasn't going well. Tell me, like, you're dragging extra sleds. You're, pu you're pushing ex extra, extra sleds. Your legs are gone by the time your overhead day comes. You know, if you wait and you use it for that, you, should, you know, you'll fare all around better. But, you know, I was hard-headed, so. <laughs> so it sounds like there were maybe some reasons, but it, it doesn't sound like it was an overtraining to a point of injury for you. No, not, no, I was lucky. I was lucky uh, throughout my strongman career. I didn't get injured. Not until the end of my powerlifting career did I get injured, but it was, wasn't even one that was because of uh, overtraining or anything. Do you mind sharing why, how you <laughs> got injured? Yes, it's quite comical and not. Um, I was benching one morning. It was about 5.15 a.m. Well, that was what time it was exactly. And uh, I had a gym mates spot me, I guess, maybe you didn't have his coffee yet. And I was just, I was benching 175 for reps. I think it was like uh, maybe five by five or something like that. So not too much weight, not too much volume. And somehow, you know, the bar slipped and it just knocked me right in my head. So that was the, the only injury that I had from powerlifting or strongman. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and I'm laughing, but it's because I know, it was... <laughs> it's, it's, it's terrifying. Right. Yeah. So that was the only injury and uh, I made out okay with that, but it was, um, I, I did get really lucky. I didn't have to have any surgeries or anything, you know, even throughout rugby I didn't. So, you know, I was the same. maybe I wasn't training hard enough after all. I didn't get hurt. I don't know. 
Well, I, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> how, how do you think you did stay pretty injury free in rugby? I think I lifted a fair amount. I'm, I'm not saying that I was on a proper strength program or I committed, I didn't commit to a proper, we were given programs. I lifted often. So I don't know, maybe I was durable, had my, my parts were held, <laughs> held together well enough. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I don't know. Well, let's switch back to Strongman for just a little bit. Since the lifts are so different from anything with a barbell, what kind of technique is involved in the lifts? Yeah, you know, lifting an odd object, I guess, you will, will go to basic physics and keeping the weight close to your center of gravity in some cases in order to move it efficiently. I know for the um, keg carries, a lot of time, you know, I, I remember when Nationals, we had a keg, we had to load a bunch of kegs into a wheelbarrow and then transfer them back to the starting line. So it was a pretty long medley, but a lot of folks were having a hard time because of the weight was loaded too far in front of them. Just like a front squat, let's say your bar is too low in front of you in your front rack. Um, their keg, um, in the case of this event, was too low or too far in front of them. So it was hitting their, um, you know, the, their quads, hitting the front of their legs. They weren't able to move as fast or as well. Whereas if you had the keg higher up and closer to your center, if you're leaning backwards, you can move faster and move more efficiently. So it was kind of up to you to learn how to maneuver around these events. Yeah, but it was tricky. Um, there was, it wasn't, sometimes it didn't really come down to a brute strength thing. It was just learning how to interact with the implement. Are there different types of lifts for beginners that you would recommend? Like if, if somebody was new to Strongman and said, I want to try something out, what is one implement that you would point them to? I would say definitely get to some experience with the log press. A lot of athletes find it very easy to, you know, obviously put a barbell overhead, but I think that a lot of competitions are won and lost with that log press. I know that it, if my log press was better when I did strongman, I would have had success at um, a couple higher level competitions uh, if my max was higher, but definitely the log press because it's just, you know, you get that, you get a 200 pound log on your chest, your head's tilted back 90 degrees, your elbows are up, you know, you have your you have it racked properly and you can't breathe. It feels like beep and it just takes a lot of getting used to. So if you get comfortable with that implement, build your base strength. It's, it's one of the harder uh, events to just get physically comfortable with. That and the yoke. The yoke never bothered me, but a lot of folks, you know, when they put it on their back, it's just completely measurable. But I would definitely say get really good at the log. Get good at them all because you have to be, but, <laughs> but the log will um, definitely, if you're exceptional at the log, you'll have you fairly well. If you're decent at everything else. I love your approach. Don't try the simplest one. Try the hardest one. And yeah, then go from there. <laughs> it'll filter out the week. I don't know. <laughs> We're going to get into mental strength in a minute, but okay. I have to ask the question, what is your favorite of all of the sports that you've done? Rugby, strongman, powerlifting, CrossFit? Strongman, for sure. Hands down. And why is that? It's so dynamic. Like you get your conditioning in I feel like I was the strongest I had ever been. I think that's because of some of the ways that I trained a lot of partial, overloaded a lot of partial movements with that. And I did like the group training aspect of it. You know, every Saturday morning you get up, you get to the gym around nine o'clock. Uh, you train for a good two and a half, three hours, set up all your, all of your events. And it's just, I don't know. I, I feel like you, you know, you're, you're in relatively good. Uh, your conditioning's pretty good and your strength is, um, 
don't know. I, as I just said, it, it was, I was strongest um, when I did strongman, I think. Nice. And you have friends around the train with. So earlier in the quote from Juggernaut, you mentioned an all-in type of athlete. What do you mean by that? Just an athlete that was willing to commit the nutrition, commit to the traveling from state to state, going from gym to gym in order to prep for the competition. The athlete that was willing to train for 12, 24 weeks for a competition who knew Beep. well they weren't going to get paid for it or anything like that, which was just for the love of the sport. It was for, you know, attaining that personal goal that they were getting from their training. But I guess that was the type of athlete, certain athletes pushed their bodies to, they made other sacrifices with their bodies for the sport, you know, making exceptions to, to be better. So, Maya, something that I really admire about you is your ability to have such mental strength. What does that mean to you and how is it factored into your training? Well, what I understand mental strength to be is just allowing the mind to push you past where your body wants to stop. I know personally what I would, and, and this probably, you probably heard a million other lifters say this before, but what I would use to you know, push myself past my threshold were just different things and different struggles that I had had in the past, um, not specifically naming any of them. But I think that, you know, if you, if you have something that you can draw from. Yeah, I think that actually sounds like a really great recommendation. Like you're pulling from previous mentally tough experiences to build new mental toughness. Does, does, that, does that sound right? Yes. I read that your favorite quote is by Harriet Tubman. Uh, do you mind if I read it? Yes, please. Okay. If you hear the dogs, keep going. If you see the torches in the woods, keep going. If they're shouting after you, keep going. Don't ever stop. Keep going. If you want a taste of freedom, keep going. When did you find this quote and why is it your favorite? I found this quote around the time um, when I did my first national competition in Strongman. I had seen it in the past and I was going back and trying to look for things, different things to kind of get me motivated, you know, in competitions. And um, I think that the, you know, the things that Harriet was referring to in the woods, chasing after her, you know, posing a threat to her. I, I kind of thought of, you know, when I'm in a competition and the desire to just kind of let up or the desire to kind of just say, oh, hey, I got first in these three events. Let me just chill out on this one. It was just a reminder that, you know, something's behind you. Just keep going. Um, the freedom just be in my case, the victory. So I, I made a very simplistic parallel there with that quote, but um, I don't know. She's always been a hero of mine anyway. So that's how I related that to my situation and how I let it push me to get to my goal. I think that you have, you have so much to offer people and I, I hope that they hear it. I appreciate that. I, I, I do too. I just, I don't think that many people who compete in strength sports think that they have a responsibility to say anything about certain things or I don't know. I don't think they'll really, they concern themselves with the numbers, the total, you know, the powerlifting total, things like that. Not necessarily how that will affect somebody else. You know, this, these sports can be life-changing. You know, it can keep somebody or it can pull somebody out of an eating disorder. It can pull somebody out of an abusive relationship. It, you know, it could get you to change your health in a way that you, I don't know, feel better about things all around. So I guess you do kind of have a responsibility as an amateur strongman competitor to try to pull others with you. That's powerful. So Maya, I want to totally change topics and talk okay. about you as an artist. Yes, I'm sitting in my painting studio right now. So go, go ahead. How did you decide to get into art? Well, this is, um, I was just talking about this with a, a good friend yesterday. My father actually 
he would sit down, sit us down in the living room. My mom worked night, night shift at the uh, police station. That was her, uh, one of her jobs. And he would sit down with his beers. He would turn on some old school R&B and just give us uh, pastels, drawing paper. And we would just sit for hours, talk, laugh, draw and draw and draw and draw. And it was, um, you know, we would do that a couple of times per week, mostly on the weekends that transferred, you know, obviously it, it became something that I did for fun, relaxation, you know, it, it's a cheap outlet. You know, I didn't, we didn't have to go to Disney World to have a good time. You sat down, you did a drawing and you were satisfied with what you had. You know, in middle school, I went on sorts of art competitions. In high school, you know, I did that. And I, I studied for my undergraduate degree and my master's in it, taught for a long time and uh, showed at numerous exhibitions, uh, regionally, nationally. So that uh, at one point was my life. And how do you see art and fitness going together? There's an element of autonomy for both. So the lone lifter, the lone artist, they're both on their own trying to improve their, their skill. So the painter is in the studio working alone. The athlete is in the gym working alone a lot of times. And then you have that one moment where you get to express all of that. So you have the exhibition or you have the review by the critic or the juror who's going to decide whether or not your piece is in the exhibition. The athlete has the meet. They have game day. They have yada, yada. So I think that's a commonality. And the element of failure between those two can be pretty, pretty um, heavy. When you're not doing a team sport and you're training on your own, it's, it's kind of similar to the artist having his or her failures, you know, one way or another. Wow. So we're, we're almost at the end and I'm going to ask you three lightning round questions. These are questions yes. that I'm asking every guest. Okay. <laughs> um, and I cannot go an hour without talking about food. So yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> what is the most memorable thing you've ever eaten? Okay. I'm ready for this one. My mom is from Louisiana, Morgan city, Louisiana, and her gumbo person. That's, that's it. Hands down. That was easy. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. Food. Julie, come yeah. on now. <laughs> All right. What are three people, books, or podcasts that have been influential to you? The first person is Myron Barnstone. He's one of my um, painting painting instructors. Taught me um, very obscure painting techniques based on the Golden Ratio. Harriet Tubman, as I mentioned before, and I'm going to blend two and one. Uh, my parents. Oh. Yes. Mm -hmm. If someone came to Earth from another planet, Ooh. what is one thing you'd tell them? Beep and run. Can I curse? <laughs> run. I'm going to edit that out. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Can I say run? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll just say run. That's really funny. Okay. Do you want to know why? Of course. Yeah, that was Well, I mean, we're, we're an invasively curious species. I think we are. Like, we don't know how to be like, we don't know how to inquire without harming. Very unfortunate because it's amazing to be curious and it's amazing to want to studying it's amazing to want to know but we really go all in we go too far sometimes i love humanity but just saying i actually really appreciate that as a response to to why you would say run is have you had to to discover new boundaries to stop curious people no but you know it's it's something that i've just noticed um you know just reading about different events over time and it just kind of seems like if if folks could inquire and wonder and admire and not take and try to take things for their own, that I think people might be a little more mellowed out and willing to share and not oppressed or mm -hmm. for that route. But yeah. 
Is there something that you would ask somebody from another planet? <laughs> uh, this, is, this is like out of left field. That's, I didn't, that's I didn't so fun. Out. No, I like it. Would I ask them, what is dark matter? No, I don't know. I'd ask them, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what, what do we look like to you? You know, what, what do you, I don't know. What does humanity look like to you? Possibly. I know what it looks like from our, what we look like from our perspective, but what do you guys think? Yeah. <laughs> I think you could take that in a lot of directions. Like, what do we physically look like? What is our, right. what do our cultures look like? Right. All right, Maya, that is it. Thank you so okay. much for being here. Okay. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great. I really had a good time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for tuning in to Muscles to the Masses, the podcast. To support the show, leave us a review on iTunes, tell a friend, or buy a butt bag at musclestothemasses.com.